dangerously close. This episode was brought to you by William Mitchell Audio. Now I know what you're thinking. What's an audio company like that doing sponsoring a podcast like this? Well, I'll tell you what. Go to williammitchellaudio.com to learn many of life's greatest mysteries or to hire an excellent and professional audio engineering company to make that sound sound good. Not to mention, Bill has some ripped deltoids from holding that boom mic over his head for 12 hours a day every day. That's williammitchellaudio.com. And here's a little clip from our guest today, Zorananda, from the album Enlightened Dark. My guest today is Zorananda. Zorananda is a 500-hour Akanda yoga teacher with over 500 additional hours of yoga and yoga therapy trainings. His love of yoga and meditation has brought him to many places around the world, including Rishkesh, India, Koh Phangan, Thailand, like I said, I did not pronounce that, but that's okay, and the Amazon jungle in Brazil. In Rishikesh, he completed the 300-hour teacher training along with a complimentary 200-hour teacher apprenticeship program with his teacher, Yogrishi Mishketu. The years of traveling the world, practicing yoga, and completing trainings has culminated into a wealth of knowledge and experience that he has compiled into his first book, Future Life Progression, Meeting Your Future Self. The book is a detailed expose of the journey Zorananda traveled throughout his life to understand the nature of synchronicity, the nature of time, connect deeply with his heart and contact various versions of his future self. The primary element of the book is a step-by-step -step modality of exercises and meditations that enables the process of connecting into the heart and communicating with the future self. Along with yoga and meditation, Zorananda is also a musician and guitarist with his first album, Mystical Rhythms, coming out with his first book on October 5th. You can find the book and the album on his website at www. Zorananda.com. Uh, man, you know, just for the listeners here, uh, and this is kind of a thing for people, people who listen to this uh, podcast frequently, I always have just a terrible time trying to uh, get through a bio without ruining it. And I did so good earlier, then we had a technical difficulty and I lost the entire Zoom call. And so once again, <laughs> hey man, how you doing? Great. I'm doing good. Uh, going Batman, uh, I mispronounced a couple things and I'm just kind of curious how you actually do pronounce them. And, uh, Rishikesh, is that? Yeah. Rishikesh. Oh, really? Cool. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. And, in, in Thailand, uh, Ko, uh, P-H-A-N-G-A-N. Yeah. Ko Pangan. Pangan. Okay. Yeah. It's like, uh, flat A's. Yeah. I have a lot of friends from Thailand and we, uh, I, I occasionally, I try to like, uh, learn phrases and stuff. It's yeah. a very difficult language. Yeah, it is. 
Um, well, shoot, man. Uh, and I wanted to bring up one thing real quick. I have, we have so much to get to, but I wanted to say one thing. Uh, when we first started uh, kind of emailing back and forth and you talk a lot about synchronicity and that's a really fundamental part of my personal life philosophy that synchronicity is a thing. Yeah. And, uh, and I, hopefully this will be the episode that my, my brand new uh, intro music comes out. And I've been kicking around the idea with my pro uh, producer who does that stuff. And I had a dream last night that I was talking to him about the song, like how I wanted the intro music to sound. And I was like, uh, Hey man, I wanted to sound like big Frida. It's a, that's a new Orleans bounce artist. Mm -hmm. And I hit him up this morning. I was like, Hey man, I had this dream that I told you this. And he's like, Oh, well, you know, like he, he, he was a producer in new Orleans for a long time. And he's like, I've been producing bounce music for a long time, dude. Like I've already got all the, I got the tracks, dude. Like, we'll you know, send me some vocals yeah. and we'll just knock this out. And I just wanted to tell you that. Nice. <laughs> yeah. And we can, uh, yeah, we'll get into that because, um, you know, there's a, fairly large section of my book that just really goes into all that. So. And I, I wanted to, I mean, I've actually, I've been really enjoying your book. I've been reading it. Nice. And, uh, that's actually, uh, where I want to start. Um, like, I just want to like kick it off with a story real quick. And, um, yeah. so like, like I said, I've been reading your book and in it, you tell a story of, of an event that occurred when you were about eight years old. And I would, uh, I guess through a ch chain of events in some ways, you can say that this event, even though it may have seemed small at the time, might have been uh, possibly one of the reasons you eventually wrote this book, you know? Uh, yeah. And I, I mean, you brought that up and I just wanted to, I was just hoping uh, you could t tell us that story real quick. Just that time when you were, when you were eight and it's kind of one of these first experiences, like considering the nature of time. Yeah. And so it happened um, like very like, um, just kind of in a mundane way. Uh, I was eight years old. I was walking home from school and it was just a path that I've taken home, you know, regularly. However, there's just something that in, intervened in my like life in that moment that literally saved my life. And the, the way that I like to recollect it is um, more so to understand like how this, whatever, this kind of communication came in to really help me. So I was just walking down the street uh, from my elementary school, the same way I would each and every day. And there's uh, on the left of me, there's, apartment buildings. And then on the right of me, there are, um, houses. So, um, where the apartment building ends, there's like this kind of like little strip mall with a corner store and pizza place and stuff. And then on, on my right, where, uh, on the sidewalk that I'm on the houses end and there's an alley and it turns into, uh, like a townhouse complex where I lived. And so I was, pretty small as a kid. And the house on the end that, uh, was on the alley side had a white picket fence that I couldn't see over while I was, while I was walking up to it. And as I approached the entrance of the alley, I immediately had a full on vision, um, like very lucid of myself walking out into the alley and getting hit by a truck. 
And right when I saw myself get hit by the truck, I stopped at the edge of the alley and a white truck speeding down the alley, like screeched his tires and came to a stop uh, before I stepped out. And at that time, it completely freaked me out and I just ran home. And I thought about it a little bit when I was, when I was young and when I was a kid, um, but I, I really didn't start to examine it until I was into my teens. And I started to really look into what happened and that I was shown this experience and I was shown like what would happen if I were to just like kind of continue daydreaming the way that I was and not really paying attention and then just step out into the alley. So the more and more I investigated this memory and the more and more I really um, uh, looked into it, I started to uncover that it was a kind of communication that I was shown something and that I was uh, protected and that um, there was some kind of force or something there to um, protect me and to help me so that I wouldn't die or I wouldn't get seriously injured. And that, um, you know, that would be the basis of something that would come out in the future, which inevitably has led to the book that I've written. And um, so to have a story of an intervention of that kind and to unveil more and more of it has really been a blessing. And so I use that story in the book in a way to um, understand how synchronicity can work and that um, we all have this, right? Just like what you're saying about your dream, how, you know, the night prior and then the conversation leading up to um, the next morning that there's this link that we just don't see, right? And in your case, it was a link that literally was from one night to the day before, where like in my case, it was a link that expanded over and extended over like many years of my life. And so um, that's what I really took out of importance in the experience and why I was remembering it while I was recollecting it, because I think it's easy to have those experiences and then just forget and just be like, "Mm, it wasn't significant. Right. In a lot of ways, uh, a lot of what you're saying, then that's a a big part of why uh, I was very excited to do this interview because uh, like I was saying earlier on, the synchronicity is a big part of my own personal uh, philosophy. It's a, you know, or for instance, a thing that uh, occurs a lot in my life is uh, deja vus. And yeah. I think almost everyone has probably experienced uh, deja vu to some extent. But I have, uh, occasionally I have some where I'll be, there'll be an occurrence or an event or I'll be doing something and I'll be like, I've already done this. <laughs> and it's, I, I think that also was a dream thing. All the times I think I actually dream uh, future events because it's like, it's, it feels so while you're in the moment, it's a memory of that. You like, I've already, I remember doing this already, but here I am doing it. And that's actually uh, leading me into my next question. Really. uh, I'd like to talk about the word synchronicity. Could you give us the definition of synchronicity as you see it and how it pertains to your philosophy? So the way that I see synchronicity is 
along the lines of the word uh, coincidence. So rather than um, in a vein where it's dismissed that there's an interconnection between the two events. So you just take co and incident where synchronicity is then applying awareness that the two events do have a connection between the two and that you can benefit from that connection by applying that awareness continually throughout your life. So, you know, you have a dream, like you were saying in your instance, and then, you know, the next day you act on it. So what would have happened if you didn't act on it? Right. And so most people are going to say, well, I don't know. It's tough to tell. However, chances are you would have had that conversation anyways later. But the thing is, is that when we act on the synchronicity or we act on this event that's significant to us and we bring that um, like alignment or we bring that coincidence together quicker, then it just makes the next synchronicity that much more closer. So say if, um, you know, you had the dream and then you were like, uh, I don't think it means anything. And then like, you know, a week or two weeks, you know, that's two weeks of time that didn't really need to happen. And so really what I think the power of synchronicity is, is how quickly we act on it. And, and so the more and more we use a more separating belief where we just consider it a coincidence and we leave it that, um, I think we just develop an attitude of disappointment because things aren't lining up and the universe and your own higher self and yourself are trying to show you to act on the opportunity. It's like, here's a dream. Now, what are you going to do with it? And so because you are already familiar with synchronicities and you've already adopted a belief in your life of how beneficial it is naturally in the morning, you're like, Oh man, I got to call him up and tell him about this dream. Right. And so intuition plays a huge part in how we actually navigate the synchronicities. And sometimes a coincidence is just a coincidence. And I mean, or maybe it's not, I, and I, I'm not that far along in uh, my studying of this kind of stuff, but like, you know, I just, like I said, I have my own personal life philosophy that I live by. And yeah. so a lot of times when things, when coincidences seem like more than just something I should dismiss, a lot of times that's what I call a synchronicity. Uh, for instance, uh, uh, here's a thing that people talk about all the time now. Like when, when something's on your mind, all of a sudden you start noticing that thing is everywhere. Uh, yeah. Like if you're, uh, you've decided you, you need to buy a bicycle, uh, you start seeing bicycles everywhere and you know, <laughs> like, that, like that's kind of, uh, so, the, so those are, those are some of the, the more simple examples, but obviously it, it definitely, it grows and expands and evolves, especially, uh, as we'll get to later, like talking into like, uh, deep meditation and, uh, things of that nature. Yeah. But man, I want to, I want to just jump real quick on a, on a, on a get to know, you know, because I know that, uh, you've studied in both India and Thailand. And this is uh just quick question, man. Which country has better food? Oh man. So honestly, Thailand. Really? Thailand has better food. Yeah. Um, in a few ways. So I think 
Thailand has just safer food to eat. Like, um, you don't really have to worry too much about getting sick. Um, if you're in Bangkok, probably where I went was on Copenhagen is just like beautiful little Island. And generally the street food is safe and the restaurant food is safe as opposed to India. It's really challenging to find food that isn't gonna, uh, make you sick. And that's just because of different cultural practices and, um, so I'd say in that realm, Thailand, um, but then the like richness of the food, definitely India that there's, um, there's and like an energy to it. And there's just like a life to it that is so satisfying and so enriching, um, that, uh, that's the way that I, I would compare the two. So, yeah, I mean, like, I was very curious too, because I mean, honestly being in the countries is so different than my experience because, you know, I've only eaten at uh, Thai restaurants in America or Indian restaurants in America and around here, uh, all the Indian restaurants that are close to me are all vegetarian or vegan and I don't eat meat often and I practically never eat seafood. So yeah. I would assume like uh, a lot of like, if you're like, especially if you're on an Island, a lot of the food is like seafood based so the neat thing about Copenhagen, where I was on the Western side of the Island, um, that is like predominantly yoga kind of influence. And so many of the restaurants are just naturally vegetarian, um, and vegan. Hold up. It's time for an announcement. What's up? It's your boy, liberal media, Doug here with an exciting announcement about a brand new form of cryptocurrency. Now, I bet you've heard all about Bitcoin and probably some other coins as well, but I bet you ain't never heard about My Views or My Own Podcoin. You can buy just about anything with My Views or My Own Podcoin. Trank darts, chemtrails, discounts, surgeries. Heck, there's even a market where you can buy all kinds of animals you're not supposed to have, and you can get them murder hornets or whatever you're into. That's fine. My Views or My Own Podcoin will buy it. This is the only global currency you can count on. Go to MyViewsOrMyOwn.com. And now back to the interview. You're uh you're in Alberta right now. Yep. Right. Is uh where are you from originally? Is that where you're from? Yeah. So I was born in Edmonton, Alberta, and my parents are Serbian. So they, um, yeah, they're both from small, small towns. Uh, so you're uh, Serbia. Your first generation Canadian. Yeah, that's right. Um, and they came to Canada in the '70s, and, um. I'm the youngest of, uh, three other siblings. And, um, what's interesting is I didn't grow up around Serbian kids. And so all my friends were Canadian. And so even though my parents, um, always spoke Serbian to us, um, you know, they taught my sisters Serbian, they learned uh, how to speak it fluently, you know, by the time they're five, six years old, and then by the time it came to me, um, English just kind of took over like my sisters, you know, when they were in high school and then my brother, when he was in junior high and then me, that's, um, I just lost touch of speaking the language. And so can you still speak any Serbian at all? 
Uh, a little bit. My, it's, it's more so just like listening comprehension where when okay. my parents speak or someone speaks, I, um, totally understand it. When I read it, I can generally understand it about 80%. Um, I, I, I only brought it up because I have a, like, whenever I have someone on, uh, that speaks a language that's very unfamiliar to me, I always want to ask, can you teach me how to just say one phrase? And it doesn't like, can you just give me like one phrase in Serbian, how to say something cool or, or even just a greeting? Yeah. So a uh, simple one would be like, um, how are you? Uh, my name's Doug, right? I would love um, you to learn that. So how are you is uh, kakusti. Um, kakusti? And, yeah. And uh, my name is Doug is Yasum Doug. Just I am Doug. Yasum Doug. Kakusti, Yasin Doug. Oh man, yeah. that is so much easier. Uh, the last guest that I had on that I was trying to uh, teach me something uh, was trying to teach me Swahili. Yeah. And I just couldn't do it, man. I was, it, it's uh, also kind of like, I mean, it didn't seem as hard as Thai. Like the Thai language is one of the most difficult languages because uh, of the inflections and uh, how it, it's almost, I wouldn't say melodic, but like it goes up and it goes down in the way you inflect your words can yeah. change the meaning regardless of how the consonants and vowels are placed. Yeah. So that's cool. I'm gonna, I'll remember that dude. Kakusi. Oh fuck. I forgot. My name is. Yeah. <laughs> Yasum. Masum. Yeah. Yasum. Kakusi. Yeah. Yasum Doug. All right. You heard it here first, everyone. If you want to know, say, Hey, what's up? My name is, uh, that's how you say it. Shout out Eminem, man. Redo, redo that song. in uh, that first hit you had redo that in Serbian. <laughs> well shit um i actually uh i had to ask you about this dude because i know you spent some time in the amazon jungle in brazil yeah and that's probably in my top 10 places i want to get a chance to see in my lifetime uh do you have a story about the jungle or maybe just while you were there that you'd be willing to share anything it doesn't have to be like yeah. oh, an anaconda tried to eat me it doesn't have to be like that but you know like just no. uh, a glimpse of um, it's like in the jungle man so, uh, I don't know how far in you got with my book, but, um, in the last chapter, um, that I, uh, call mystical rhythms, um, I have a whole section of a story of my ayahuasca experience and just the, the journey to get to that point. Um, and I mean, it's a, it's a fairly long story. I think, uh, that section is like, I don't know, like 10 to 14 pages or something, but, um, essentially, um, you know, over the last like 10 years of my life, I've had like a deep calling to go into, uh, the Amazon. And many years ago I had, uh, this woman who is the owner of a crystal store uh, here in Edmonton, tell me that the only way I'll ever get into Brazil is to be invited in. Like, she was like, there's no point just trying to book a trip and go like, that's not the way it's going to work for you. And so I always kept this in mind. And I tried, like, I tried to like find a way to get down there safely. And it just, it wouldn't work. Like the idea of me just willy nilly, just booking a flight, going total language barrier, not knowing anyone, uh, just really was more concerning to me than exciting. Um, until I did my 300 hour teacher training 
where I met um, my roommate in in the training, um, Brandon Buckalter, and which now he goes by Samar Pananand. Um, and we became like best friends immediately. Like our teacher, Vishraji, just somehow, and, and we reflected on this so many times in the training, like how the hell did he know to put us together? Because it just unfurled so many synchronicities after that, where he had been regularly going to Brazil to stay with this family um, just in Northern Brazil. And he'd already gone like, I think three times by then. And um, during the training, he started to formulate a retreat company and uh, this like Brazilian yoga retreat. And so throughout the training and like the more and more our friendship developed, he actually invited me to come to Brazil. And that was it. And as soon as I had that invite, I just like flashed back to that moment when Don was like, you need to be invited to go. And it was just an immediate yes within me. Um, And so three years after the training, um, he set up an actual like date for the retreats. And so uh, my fiance and I, actually then went to Brazil with him with the other group of his friends to initiate what the retreat would look like. This was more so um, just like a test run of the retreat. However, it was that time was a huge pivotal changing point in my life because um, prior to the retreat, um, my now fiance, Alicia, we weren't engaged. And I actually uh, proposed to her in Brazil, in the middle of the jungle, 150 feet in the air. Oh, that's uh, so romantic, man. That's awesome. Yeah. That's a that's a great way to do it. <laughs> yeah. Like, yo, let's, let's go to the jungle, 150 feet. But yeah, hell yeah, man. Sorry. Yeah. I mean, interrupt you, but like, I, I love romantic stories. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, and so the jungle is alive. And, you know, we, we feel that when we go into forests, like around where we are, or, um, you know, we're breathing in the fresh air and we just get a sense of how nature is. The Amazon jungle is a whole other thing. You feel there's like, you go into it and you're like, you almost have the sense you don't belong there. But then once you just accept it, for something that you have no control over, then you get this feeling of it bringing you in. And, and it's, it's like the, it's like the earth's life support system too. I mean, yeah. that's, I, I, I don't like off the top of my head, I cannot uh, come up with this fact, but the amount of oxygen that is produced just by the Amazon jungle in Brazil is, I mean, I, I, I am certain that it's, uh, it is like the highest percentage of all of the uh, forests in the world, like oh, in the yeah. world, like that's where, you know, if we didn't have that place, we wouldn't have an earth. So, yeah. So the thing that many people don't really know, um, there's something that they call the sky river. And so when you, when you watch the jungle and we, where we were, there is this platform that overlooked like, like, just this huge valley of, of the Amazon jungle. Um, so when it rains, after it rains, 
because of the heat, there's these like kind of pillars of, um, of steam or like condensation that rise into the sky and they literally turn into a river and you can see it going over the jungle. And so, Oh man, that sounds like, so cool. Dude, like I, I, I hope I get to see this someday, man. Cause I, yeah, man. Like I've, I've had other friends that have gotten to go down to South America and see some of these things and what you're describing. And it just sounds like, I mean, it just sounds unbelievable, dude. So the cool thing about that is, um, it, it's not only that there's this like water that's being released is that, um, there's so many more particulates in that water. Cause the, the jungle is, is releasing out of its foliage, right? So, um, not only will it pick up, um, just whatever is in the leaves and whatever is in the actual water, it's also going to pick up seeds and it's going to pick up like other debris. And so that it's a way that the jungle actually controls itself where it's releasing this line of, uh, kind of condensation or steam up. And then it's just like spreading, all over the place. And that is where, when I saw that and I like really felt into it, I was like, that is what makes the jungle alive. And that like, it's so much more than, um, just what you see, right. When you go into it, then there's the whole world of it. When you actually go into the jungle and you see everything that's going on. Yeah. Uh, but to be honest, man, like, is there parts of it that are kind of terrifying? Super terrifying. Oh my God. So, um, halfway through our retreat. So, um, let me backtrack for a second. So we had seven days, uh, for the retreat and because it was a yoga retreat, we, um, aligned it with the chakras. So, you know, root chakra for day one, sacral for day two, uh, um, solar plex for day three, and day three was um, fire, right? So it, it lines with fire. And so what we did is we went on this like epic hike right into the middle of the jungle with this amazing indigenous uh, guide named Samuel. And so we spent like four hours trekking to this uh, camp that was made. And we went at around three. And so the sun sets around like 6.30. And so by the time like seven came around when we were like um, kind of approaching our camp, it gets pitch black. So if you were to get lost in the jungle and you didn't have any light, there's, there's no way to see anything. It's like absolute pitch black. And uh, there's a moment where we like turn off, turned off all of our lights and just immediately the body just recognizes that you're in a very foreign place. You're in pitch black and it's just like, just terror comes up. Do, do you like get that sense that, um, that you are a primate, like that you, you forget that like, Oh, for, you forget about all the cities and airplanes and all that shit. When you're like, when you're in that jungle, like, I, like I assume like you get that sense because there, there are predators out there that definitely could get yeah. you. Like, is that like, is that a, like, do you kind of like feel that like primal, um, does that make sense? I, I, I don't know. I'm not yeah, sure. Yeah, it I'm does. Sure if I'm sense. But I think it comes up in a way where it actually 
reinforces your want to go back into that stuff. So like, it's not a primal sense where you're like, Oh, I'm in the jungle. And I, and I'm like, I gotta like tap into where I am. It's more that that terror is like, you have no idea where you are and everything that would alleviate that terror is gone. So you get flashes of like being comfortable in your home and like being able to like do the normal things that you do, but you can't do that because you are, uh, literally like removed from it. And so, um, yeah, I guess it just depends on who you are. I think, um, because we're all just like city folk and we're in the jungle, that terror is just amplified. But in Samwell, man, like there's no terror. Like he knows it so in depth. Like, so the crazy thing about this, uh, trek that we did there's a main trail that gets to the camp that'll take you there in 45 minutes. Like it's just super easy. But what we did is we just literally went off into the jungle and into the bush and he navigated us on this huge trail looping all the way around to get to the camp. And, um, like halfway through we're like, so did you like, and I asked him, I was like, did you like plan out, you know, this, like where we are? Like, do you know, like the trail? And he's like, no, <laughs> <laughs> he's just like, no, nah, I get it. It's, yeah. Like, yeah. One of those, one of those type of dudes that like has that sense of direction too. I, oh, I've yeah. known people like that where like you can, they know where they're at, like yeah. you know, in the desert or in a forest or whatever. So, and the, and the, cool thing is, and the really trippy thing is, so when we're back, just like at the main kind of like farm and the main houses and stuff, he's like super chill and make making jokes and like always laughing at us and stuff like that. And just like really funny and really entertaining. As soon as we get into the jungle and as soon as we get far enough, you just see it click and you just see like all of his senses just integrate and he'll just like stand and like scan around and look around And just, there's something else that comes through where it's like, wait, are you still Samwell? Because you just totally seem like a different person. And there's times where he'll be like, okay, everyone wait here. And he'll just go and, and then come back and then be like, okay, yeah, it's this way. Oh, that's spooky, man. (laughs) Yeah. But, uh, what you did mention though, is that, uh, you got to have an ayahuasca experience and that was, was that in Brazil in the jungle? Like that, is that where you got to do it? Yeah. So it wasn't in that trip. Um, I went back the following January with Samarpan. Um, and, and like initially we just planned to meet out there, meet with the family that, um, kind of hosts retreats and, and hosted us last time and, and talk about, uh, the upcoming retreat. So we had planned another retreat for, um, this summer for 2020. And when we got there, there was already a few people that were doing ayahuasca. Like, um, so their, uh, son was doing it and, uh, a woman and her daughter. And so immediately when we got there, the vibe was like already set. It was like, yeah, there's, for whatever reason, um, it seemed like the invitation and the welcomeness was there. And, 
it just got to a point, Samar Pan were ta- and I were talking, we're like, well, I mean, this is, this is probably our chance to do it. And, um, so we, we talked to Leo, he's, um, uh, just like the father there and just this epic human being that has lived there in the jungle for like 20 years now. Um, you know, bruise ayahuasca himself has taken it probably thousands of times and, um, it just turned into the perfect time to do it. And, um, yeah. So yeah, feel free to ask any questions about it because I'm, well, I'm fascinated by it. And, uh, it's something that's on my uh, list of things to do. It's one of the things I haven't had an opportunity to do, but I want to kind of, I want to do it in the way that I feel like you got to do it where you got to go to the right place and be with the right people and be in the right environment. And, uh, a lot of, a lot of my experiences were great. I've had a lot of, uh, great experiences with similar things, but often in like an urban environment or just barely outside, you know, like into a, like a nearby, you know, where, where nature is, but you know, just, uh, I would love to try, uh, the ayahuasca experience with, uh, guided, I guess is, is the word I'm looking for, like guided in a great environment, you know, because I've heard so many people like discuss like their experiences as being like, <clears throat> you know, maybe your uh, ego is getting too big or, uh, things of that nature. And ayahuasca kind of like helps you just reset yourself back into be like, all right, this is where I really am <laughs> on this. You know, I'm not, uh, yeah. Well, and I also, I'm, uh, I was going to say I'm not immortal, but I'm not sure like if that's, there's so many different experiences people have. Um, but actually this actually leads me into, uh, another question I had, I would say to a lot of people, uh, meditation, you know, here, here in the States is like, uh, maybe like five minutes of Shavasana at the end of a yoga class at the YMCA that they maybe do once a week. And there's nothing wrong with that. Like that's totally fucking cool. And you know, people should be going to get, you know, go to yoga when you can. Uh, but I think it's fair to say that for you, meditation is a lifestyle. And yeah. do you believe in the concept that through deep meditation practice, an individual can achieve similar results as to those uh, a person would receive through powerful external psychedelics? Is Do you believe in that? Yes. Um, so... <clears throat> You know, throughout my journey of practicing yoga and and doing meditation, there's this parallel of psychedelic use where, um, you know, my psychedelic use actually started earlier than my, than my kind of official meditation where my first time doing mushrooms, I was 16. And, you know, I, I think I did mushrooms probably like once a year, uh, up until I was 19 where, um, I had one of my most profound experiences, um, in my life that is really the basis of my whole theory of, of what future life progression is and like what time travel is and where I saw that, you know, by the time I was 18 and getting into meditation, that, um, my experience with, uh, like a hero dose of mushrooms merged the the two worlds together of like meditation and psychedelic use. So 
What I've discovered in, you know, the last 12 years of, of doing this work, both, you know, internally meditation, internally psychedelic use, that we have a psychedelic in us. So we have DMT in us. And the way that the DMT operates is to um, basically be broken down into a baseline microdose where you have these glands that are producing DMT. Then you have another gland that's producing an inhibitor. And essentially we have, say, for example, and this, you know, is an obscure amount, but say we have one gram of uh, DMT that's being produced, it's going to be broken down to say 1.01 grams. And so what I have been discovering and what my theory in my book is suggesting is that there is a way to actually increase the threshold of that internal or endogenous DMT. And what I've also come to realize is that there are moments in our life where we're going to actually have a spike and that it's cyclic, that we have this baseline that's going, and then we're going to have a spike and we're going to have some kind of profound experience. Um, and so what yoga and meditation in, in what I've discovered does is that it actually increases the threshold. So say if your body is only uh, utilizing like that 0.01 grams, that when you do the yoga practice, when you do uh, like the asana practice, the pranayama and the breath work, the meditation, you are influencing the gland or the organ or whatever that's producing the inhibitor to slow down or to not produce as much of the uh, enzyme. And so that you're actually increasing the amount of DMT that your body is going to use. And right now, it's hard to uh, really determine that because a lot of the science is um, really limited in, in what is happening with the DMT in your body. Like Rick Strassman has worked on this for decades and... Um, you know, a lot of the literature is pointing that the body is producing it, but has no indication of the amount, has no indication of really why the inhibitor acts the way it does. And so the only thing that I can go off of are just my own experiences and to really look at how I can bring awareness to the DMT in my body and to see that, um, really the nature of synchronicity is the way that we're using DMT. And so just to kind of like circle back to your original question. Um, yes, I do think that with um, adamant use of, of meditation and really particular awareness and insight on what you're doing in the meditation can lead to kind of psychedelic experiences. Um, but the only, th there's going to be a huge difference that the DMT that you're using in your body isn't going to have the same kind of side effects and the same kind of uh, results that say you take like a huge hit of uh, like free base DMT that um, 
that's when that's when you uh that's when you see the machine elves and all the things we hear people uh, yeah um where the the experience of your own dmt is gonna be more dreamlike you're gonna actually be put into a state where um it's much more manageable it's much more like cohesive and it's not so just like chaotic where um dmt experiences i've had that like you're just, you're put into it and it's all around you. And you're just like, you seem to have no control. Like it's just kaleidoscopic 360 degrees, just everything all at once. Right. Where, um, what I found in my own meditations where I, I feel like I have that sense of DMT coming up, like that similar kind of like rise, um, that, it's, it's not so chaotically visual. It's much more like energetic expansive. Um, and, and then and, from there, if yeah. I, if I could, uh, I just want to interject for just one yeah. second, just for like, for layman's terms too. Cause a lot of people have not had these experiences and they haven't, uh, tried psychedelics of any sort. Uh, so maybe I just want to shoot out like one of mine just real quick and yeah. uh, same as you, uh, same age, you know, uh, teenager, all that stuff. That's why I, uh, because psychedelic mushrooms grow everywhere and you, you can get yeah. them and they're very, very cheap or free if you want to go harvest them yourself. Uh, but <clears throat> at, at that time, especially when I was 16, skateboarding was my entire life. And uh, I have a very fond memory of, uh, and I guess it's kind of like microdosing. It's like when you were talking about hero dose, the hero dose is when you truly are tripping and you are on another realm. And I'm, I'm more of a fan of the microdose uh, style of that. Uh, but I took like a, a cap and a stem and I went skating with my friends there had been a barrier for me about how many stairs I could ollie down. You know, I just, mm-hmm. I'd, I'd gotten to a point and I kind of plateaued and then I was, you know, tripping a little bit, not too hard, but like enough to where I like could see things in a new way. And that's what I think what's so interesting about it is it really gives you an opportunity to visualize things in a way you've never seen them before. And that's what tripping is, is that you're mm-hmm. seeing things in a way that your mind doesn't normally uh, process them. And so I was at the top of this, you know, big ass stair set, but at this time I was like, I could really kind of like feel like my capabilities, what the distance really was, how, where the ground was, what speed was. And I was like, you know, this isn't scary at all, dude. This is like, this is simple. And then I, you know, I think that might've been like, might've been like the first time I ollied like a 10 stair, which is, you know, it's a pretty big, uh, you know, I couldn't do it now. <laughs> you, know, you gotta, you gotta be young to be able to take a hit. But, uh, but, uh, that's, uh, like I was, what I was trying to do is try and put that into layman's terms is like, uh, that's what a microdose is, is, you know, enough to kind of like get you on a, on a new wavelength of thinking. And, and then when you brought that up like with the hero dose, that's, that's a completely different world altogether. And as far as I, my understanding is, and I've never had ayahuasca, but ayahuasca is, um, that is like the top of the totem pole of the different psychedelics you can try. Mm-hmm. Am I correct in saying that? Or I mean, Oh yeah. Ayahuasca is incredibly terrifying and wonderful and beautiful at the same time. It's um, so uh, yeah. So before I go into that, um, the way that I like to look at the similarities between meditation and, and like a psychedelic is Say if you were to just meditate five minutes, 10 minutes a day, that would be like a micro dose meditation, 
right? Where you're just kind of like dipping in and like you come out of it and you feel good, right? For sure. And that's what, that's what I was trying to uh, say when I was talking about like people that go to yoga once a week and they yeah. do Shavasana and they go like, ah, I feel refreshed. Yeah. And uh, I think that's uh, meditation to the majority of people. And especially in, in the States where I'm at, like that's kind of like about as far as they've kind of dipped into it. Yeah. And as soon as, um, you know, over a period of time where we get more and more comfortable, just the seat and to be able to sit cross-legged silently, completely still, and we can, we can stretch our threshold of, of what's comfortable. Right. And so once we get to the point where we're meditating for an hour comfortably and you notice the change of state, that's where I feel that threshold is, is increasing where if you start your day, do a yoga practice, do a meditation, you get into this state where you're feeling yourself expand. You know, uh, that, I, I, I'm yeah. sorry. I mean, I keep interrupting you, but I, no, that's okay. but it is with uh with one of your own analogies and I just have to bring it up because it's a, it's a fantastic analogy and I'm, it's from your book. Um, yeah. And when you just brought that up, it came back to me and I feel like it's such a great way to explain what you're talking about. And it's about the uh, hundred meter high dive. Yeah. And if you're, if you, if you've never been at the top of a hundred meter high dive, speaking of terrifying, that's, that's terrifying. Even just, if you were just going to jump into a pencil dive, you know, like feet first, still scary as hell. And uh, what you were saying um, with a, uh, moving towards, uh, we're getting towards this too, is the uh, future life, uh, future life progression meditation and all the techniques leading up to it. Yeah. What it is, is you're building up the same way you would, if you were going to do a hundred meter dive, you wouldn't start on the hundred meter platform. You would yeah. start on a, you would, first of all, you would learn how to dive yeah. <laughs> and then you would go from a, di- a traditional diving board to, you know, as they progress to the hundred meter and once again, man, sorry to interrupt, but I had to bring up your analogy because I thought it was a fantastic one. When I was reading the book, I was like, this is very well put. So, sorry. Nice. Thank you. Yeah, of course. Go for it. Um, yeah. And so what I think is happening is people are only going to that one level of just that comfortable five minute, 10 minute. Um, and, and so then the perception of what meditation is is shallow, right? So it's like that first initial step of getting into the pool, you see the diving boards, right? You see the platforms. People know that there's deeper meditation. People know that you can really invest into going something, going into something more profound. And yet um, they just want to stay right where they are because in order to go from that shallow end, then into the deep end, then onto the platform, then onto the next platform, there's a learning process and there's an uncovering that needs to take place. And so the way that I've, I've developed uh, this book and to introduce uh, these meditations is to allow people to go deeper without jeopardizing their sense of comfort. So without having to propose that they have to do something so wild in order to get to the next step. And that's why I use that example of like, you know, um, the, uh, the heart, heart awareness meditation. 
Yeah. So if you want to die from the top platform, there are things that you have to consider and you have to prepare yourself for. However, using this methodology is going to allow you to get to that point much easier than say what arduous tasks you'd have to do to actually become an Olympic diver, right? Like that's a huge task and a, a huge responsibility where um, the sense of going deeper into ourself and deeper into our hearts and deeper into our awareness, we can let go of that seemingly arduous task that's that we build up because we associate it with things like that. We associate it with such like um, uh, lengthy kind of uh, ordeals, right? So it's uh, it becomes more and more pertinent that there's a joy of going deeper into that. There's actually the sense of like more excitement. It's not like, oh, yeah, I got to like, now I got to go deeper into my meditation. I would say there's a, there's an analogy that we just kind of accidentally came across just in this conversation. And that's uh, earlier when we discussed walking into the jungle, uh, the, the Amazon jungle in Brazil, which is a terrifying place to go into, especially, uh, you know, just off the beaten path. Uh, yeah. And especially if you didn't grow, grow up near there and you're just going to do that. Uh, and what, it, you know, part of what it is, is you just have to be able to let go a little bit and just accept what you're walking into and with, you know, and with open arms and be like, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to embrace what I'm going to find, even if it's terrifying. And, <clears throat> uh, and we can take a, a parallel from that to uh, going back, talking about psychedelics uh, that, you know, external psychedelics that you consume, like uh, for instance, yeah. mushrooms or ayahuasca. Uh, if you are too incredibly tethered to your ego and where you believe, believe you belong uh, as a, like uh, whatever you might be, I don't know. You're like, I'm a, I'm an airline pilot and this is what I am. And every single thing is set in stone. And if you take ayahuasca with no preparation, no uh, sense of what's going to happen. It's going to be terrible. I mean, honestly, I, it could be terrifying for anyone, even if you've spent a lot of time preparing for that experience, it could be terrifying having to fully let go of the ego. And I think, um, what, uh, what you're saying too, and I, I think this is a, uh, a very interesting and very cool way to go about this too, is through meditation, because it's like, uh, it's like building a muscle. It's like work. It's like building a sport. It's like becoming, uh, becoming a great, uh, you used to play soccer, right? Yeah. Yeah. So it's like uh, becoming a great soccer player. You know, you suck at first, you get better, you practice, you practice, you practice and practice. And then, you know, uh, you go along like that way. And that's, uh, what's interesting with meditation is you can, you can go to these, uh, great heights of, or great depths of perception and experience. But what you've done is you've prepared yourself along the way. Mm -hmm. So when you get there, you're ready. And yeah. so that's exactly. kind of a cool way to go about it rather than, uh, which I think a lot of people do and it scares the shit out of them is they go straight to the top of the, the uh, 100 meter diving board and take a hero dose with no fucking idea what's going to happen. And then, yeah, fall. And um, then, yeah, you know, but you live, man, you'll be fine. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and I, and I mentioned this in the book too, that like the way that the, just our body is, there's actually like a preventative mechanism to go deeper into meditation at first. And that's why like, um, 
it's, it's so off-putting of people just like, you know, when they sit down, they're just like, well, all I see is just like everything that I'm stressed about and like everything that's moving around on my thoughts and stuff. And it's like, that's the shallow end. That's where you have to wade through. And that's where you have to like learn to dive into. Um, and, uh, it's, it's really similar with psychedelics, um, where I was preparing for my ayahuasca experience through all the times that I've done, you know, uh, mushrooms and LSD and MDMA and, uh, mind you, I did it in a way where, um, there was a lot of time between everything. Uh, I wasn't really ever this person that was like, oh man, I'm going to do mushrooms every weekend. I'm going to do acid every weekend. I'm going to do like four tabs. Like it was like years apart for each one of them. And because it was, it, it came about through my research of what it actually is. Right. And like how to utilize it as like a medicine, how to utilize it as a tool. You strike me more as a, a person who, uh, tried psychedelics as an experience uh, to further your knowledge rather than a recreational psychedelic yeah. user, which I mean, there's a difference for sure. Oh yeah. Yeah, totally. And, and it's because I saw this parallel between all of the yoga and meditation that I was researching and um, this like kind of like esoteric realm of spirituality. Hold up. It's time for an ad. In these uncertain times, it's been hard for us to do a lot of things with social distancing, especially acro yoga. If you're like me, you've been missing out on doing fun acro yoga with all your acro yoga partners. Well, guess what? My Views Are My Own has produced the very first anatomically correct acro yoga doll. You can set the acro yoga doll to six exciting positions. Warrior one, warrior two, downward facing dog. What are you doing? Get out. Shut the fuck Shut the fucking door! <clears throat> anyway, it's the most realistic acro yoga doll on the market. It's for yoga, not for anything else, just for yoga. It's not weird. These are uncertain times. Go to myviewsaremyown.com to get your very own acro yoga doll. Now back to the interview. Let's do the ayahuasca story. Let's just, let's just do it right now. Yeah. So I want to, I, I personally, I really want to hear it too. I didn't even know this was going to uh, come up. So I'm really glad. Yeah. Um, you know, it was something that came up in my life. Uh, yeah. Like 10 years ago. And I just knew that, you know, going to the jungle and ayahuasca, um, uh, worked hand in hand. And so Typically what you see is like this kind of like brown kind of mixture, but mm. the way that Leo makes it is he concentrates it just so intensely that it was like a blood red, thick, like uh syrupy kind of liquid. And, you know, most people will say like, it just smells terrible. Like as soon as you try to drink it, like you'll immediately throw up. This one was like, it almost tastes like cough syrup. And it was like sweet and herbally and a little bit bitter. Um, and, you know, out of a cup, maybe like this big, uh, we're only drinking like this much of it. So uh, just for the listeners, because uh, uh, we don't have a, a video component to this podcast. Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, I assume you're like showing me maybe like four ounces. Yeah. So the cup is pretty small. You know, it's like, 
um, you know, like, like, a, like, a, like a rocks glass. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, Samarpan and I are, are like kind of sitting on this deck that has, uh, hammocks already set up and we're overlooking the jungle and, you know, Leo is with us and he gives us our shots. We take our shots and, uh, Leo's like, okay, I'll be right back. So he leaves us and, you know, Samarpan and I are sitting there talking and, um, it takes a while to kick in. It's like 30 to 40 minutes. Um, that's and, pretty fast, honestly, man. Yeah. But like <laughs> when you're anticipating it, you know, and you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It seems like, for, it, it seems like you're forever. Yeah. <laughs> um, so like, I feel it coming on and, uh, I'm telling myself that it's going to be similar to like mushrooms. It's going to be similar to, you know, I'm going to handle it. It's not going to be so bad. Um, but it's liquid DMT. And so if, if anyone who's uh, listening and has done uh, DMT before, and you know, like as soon as you smoke it and you just like, you feel the pull of going into the realm, all of a sudden that starts coming up. And, and the sense of like kind of losing touch with my body comes up. So I'm like, Oh, it's like, it's coming up, it's happening. So I, I go and lay down um, in, in my hammock and I say to myself, I'm like, well, this isn't too bad. It's just like DMT. And as soon as I say that, I just feel the presence of ayahuasca come up and it's like, Oh no, I have you. And I literally like felt this like grip around my spine. And it was like, this is nothing you've ever experienced. And like, I just got this like immediate jolt of like terror. And the whole trip then began of just being completely surrounded in this realm um, that I have no control over. Um, and, uh, so what I immediately felt is just like a combination of just like extreme heightened emotions of like, uh, like joy, terror, fear, contentment. Like it was just all there. It was just like everything in my senses were just like turned on and amplified like 10 times. Um, and I don't know if you're uh, familiar with the Sri Yantra. So uh, it's like this. I am unfamiliar. What is, uh, is that a text? So it's, a- uh, it comes out of like uh, yoga and Buddhism. So it's uh, like a sacred geometric shape. It's like these uh, triangles inside of each other. So it's like a circle and then all these triangles that form inside of each other. And then uh, this like kind of square shape around it. Yeah, I, I believe I've seen the image, but I don't know uh, the meaning of it or anything like that. Yeah, so I immediately see this and uh, I see it kind of like off in the distance and it's cascading like a cone down over me and all around me, I see like within the geometric shapes, all these like faces and colors. And um, so what starts to happen is that the ayahuasca starts to speak to me and it starts to show me. Um, and as much as I was terrified and I just like, I was telling myself, I can't handle this. Like I need this to end. I'm checking out. And every time I would check out the ayahuasca would be like, Nope, just watch. And that's what it would say. Just watch, just watch everything. It doesn't matter. Just watch. And, uh, it, there's this wave 
that, uh, and this is the only way that I can describe it because what the ayahuasca was telling me is like, you need to learn how this works in your body. You need to learn these waves. So the first wave was like this huge like wave and, um, you know, you do experience this on mushrooms of like the kind of mushroom waves that you feel it. And then all of a sudden you come back to sobriety for a minute. So there's this huge wave that I see no end to that's just like climbing and climbing and climbing more and more intensity to the point where, um, it's actually triggering me to vomit. And, um, and so I'm like trying to keep this down. I'm like, no, I just, I don't want to do it. And then the ayahuasca is like, it's happening. Yeah. And I just like out without any control of like, it just like pulled it out of my stomach. And I was like, oh, okay. And I just like ran to the edge of the deck and uh, threw up. I mean, honestly, I mean, you're kind of lucky you only puked. Cause I know that, uh, yeah. I, people like shit their pants. Like oh, <laughs> ayahuasca is one of the, it is one of the most powerful things you could possibly attempt to do with so your, the, the funny thing <laughs> is that like, I, I felt it and I was like, no, I told it. I was like, no, I'm keeping, I'm not, I don't care. I'm keeping that in. I'm just, I'm just going to throw up. And it was like, meh, okay. <laughs> it's like, cause it like, it showed me. So I like, I vomited. And what happened though, is that I was on an empty stomach and I did this, uh, like salt water kind of cleansing called uh Vimana Doughty, where you drink a bunch of salt water and you throw it up. So I was on an empty stomach and the ayahuasca that was just sitting in me, um, it was like, my body wasn't fully processing it. And so the ayahuasca is like, you need, like, you need to get this out. Like, it's not like, it's too much. You, you took too much essentially. But what happened is that when I vomited, the ayahuasca came up and I felt it coat all inside my esophagus and up the back of my throat and like up into my brain. And so I didn't actually like really, I only spat out like a little bit. And then like, I thought it was over. And then the ayahuasca was like, no, it's not like there's another round. And I felt my whole esophagus from my stomach all the way up to my throat, completely open. It was like the whole thing out of my control just opened. And then these two like large chunks of something came out. And I let out this like primordial scream into the jungle. And then my friend Samarpan and Leo just like started laughing at me. And it's like, and then the wave just came down and I was like sober and I was like, holy shit. And this like whole sigh of relief. And I was just like, oh my God, I feel there's like, oh, I'm back. And I, and I was like, I thought it was going to end. Right. And then the ayahuasca started coming up and it was like, no, it's not over. And then like this whole second wave that was like even more intense and like even scarier came up. And I like went back to my uh, hammock and then there was like a whole new dialogue that the, the ayahuasca started telling me more. And the, and, and so the, like the ayahuasca that I like kind of vomited that came up through my esophagus, I felt it like seep into my spine and I felt it like seeping into me. And it started to tell me that it was integrating with my nervous system and at that moment, I felt like my whole body was on fire and that like I could feel like my nerve endings like growing or something, or it was like, it was interacting with my nerves and it was so intense. And the way that I thought about it, it was like, 
um, it was like pushing my psychological, like, um, almost like to the brink of insanity. Like I was got to this point where I even got up and I was just like, went to the edge of the, um, deck and I was just like kind of leaning over and I just said out loud to Leo, like, I, I can't, I can't handle this. Like that, uh, that feeling where you're like, uh, this is never going to end. You've lost oh, sense man. of time. You're like, I'm like this permanently now. Right. Like that kind yeah. of shit. <laughs> yeah. And, and so I'm like, I just have my hands in my face and like, it just feels so weird. I'm like shaking and I'm like, I like, I, oh, I can't handle this. I don't know what to do. And then Leo put on music and he has this like kind of Icaro, uh, some like shaman, uh, kind of medicine music. And it just cleared everything. And I just like, that's cool. That's cool. Yeah. And I just like, that's why you need professionals around, man. Yeah. And then, uh, and then the ayahuasca, um, you know, like kind of prompted me to get up and I was like, yeah, just go lay down. And the wave came. And then the next wave was like this warmth of love and compassion. And it like, I felt her like release the grip on my spine and then like hug me. And I just like yelled out loud. I was like, oh, yes. I was like, finally, it's <laughs> over. And, yeah, uh, yeah. There's nothing like the fucking, it's over. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I'll be, I'll be, like, first of all, I don't know because I have not had, I've never had ayahuasca, but I do know the, the feeling of the, um, uh, like the peak and oh no, this is too much. And then the like, it, calms down and you're in total control and you're like, Oh, this is great. Yeah. And then when it's all done, you're like, oh, man, I feel like I learned something. <laughs> yeah. So though, you know, it spoke a lot to me and it shared a lot. Um, one thing I, I realized was that, um, it wanted me to like tell people to do it. It wanted me to like, there was this urge to like, really promote it. And the thing is, is that, um, you want to know that you're prepared for something like this. And so I, I can't like, I, I don't like recommending it to people because, um, uh, well, it's definitely not for everyone. Yeah. And I, like when I look at Samarpan's experience and how his was just like super smooth, like, he didn't have just like any turbulence. It was just like amazing. Right. And so, um, I, I was able to tap into this awareness that like it changed me in a way where it's literally like a part of me and how it told me that it was like integrated into my system that it just doesn't feel right for me to be like, Oh yeah, like you need to do it because there are going to be these changes that, um, unless you're like prepared for it, either, um, just like kind of subconsciously or actually subconsciously, um, that, uh, it's something that you really need to like invest some research into. And so that's where, um, you know, I'm, I'm more on the side of like the work that I'm doing with meditation because, um, it doesn't involve any substance and it really looks into how you can communicate with something deeper within yourself. And that, that brings me right to where I wanted to go. And absolutely. I, I, I love the fact that like um, more and more people are starting to discuss that you can actually <clears throat> uh, 
and uh, I mean, it, not quite the same thing. Like you can't necessarily have the experience of ayahuasca in the Amazon jungle through meditation, but maybe you can, we don't know. We have, we don't know where we can go just yet. Um, but this does take us to uh, FLP, which stands for future life progression. And that is the subject of your book. I do want to say that early on in your book, you make a point to say that your book is not about neuroscience specifically, but obviously uh, neuroscience is involved. So you do have to discuss it to a certain extent. Um, And to me, this book seems like part instructional manual, part scientific journal, part autobiography. Um, Would you agree with uh, kind of my interpretation of that? Yeah, that's like exactly what it is. Those are like, really the three main parts that um, I considered while writing the book for sure. And uh, while I was reading it, I was, uh, first of all, I, I was, uh, I was enjoying it. Um, it's, it's, it's written in a way that's, uh, it's not hard to read. It's not too dense, you know, even yes. though these are like complex, uh, uh, I don't want to say like, <clears throat> you discuss uh, in depth how to perform uh, certain meditations that will get you toward the future life progression. And that's the thing that like, that's what the book is ultimately about. Yeah. And I'm not all the way through it yet. So I, you know, I didn't, I didn't get all, I, I kind of got caught up a little bit cause I would get to, uh, uh, what is the, the heart awareness meditation? Yeah. And so I'm a fast reader and I could have sped read your book in preparation for this interview yeah. just and been like, well, I read the whole book, you know, but what the <laughs> fuck is the point of that? <laughs> like if I'm, if I didn't, uh, stop and, you know, smell the roses or whatever. Um, but, uh, this, I got, here's the question that I'm getting to. I think, uh, more people would be familiar with the term, uh, past life regression and that concept as well. It's been more spoken about. Mm -hmm. And I know it's a a huge subject to broach in one question and I'm not asking you to explain everything, but, uh, maybe just like a quick, uh, quick overview or even just a definition of, uh, what future life progression is. So when you look into it, um, originally it um, is a kind of modality and therapy to um, do a kind of hypnosis where you find yourself in a future life and you, you're not, per se, interacting with that future self, you're just seeing what that life is like. And um, where then it unravels some uh, tendencies that you'll have in this life to sabotage yourself. So um, say if, you know, your career doesn't ever kind of kick off, um, you're having problems with your family or your health, that um, uh, what it originally was, was you would basically go to like a therapist and they would do past life regression and the past life regression didn't work. They would do something called progressive therapy um, where they would lead you into a future self. And then um, over the course of uh, a few sessions, the future scenario would shift. So maybe the first one is you're in a life where 
there's a lot of turmoil and uh, there's a lot of bad shit happening. And then the next one, it's not so bad, but it's not as still not as pleasant as you want. And then finally, in the last one, as you're progressing through um, just learning more about yourself, that you end up, you see the life that's like um, the ideal life. And then that's to show you how to make changes in your life. So what I've done is instead of keeping it in a realm of like kind of therapy and uh, in that sense of like doing hypnosis that I've turned it into a modality and a tool for meditation where um, anyone can follow the kind of step-by-step guide of doing um, just the exercises, doing the heart awareness meditation, the dream awareness meditation, where you contact your future self by yourself. And um, really the guided meditation that I offer is initially just a tool to, for you to get comfortable with the process where um, you go through, say um, like going down the steps or going down the tunnel, going into the cave, seeing the heart or seeing the door, going through the door. And then finally you're in a realm where then uh, your future self can come and, uh, and communicate with you. And so what this is based on is um, a principle that meditation is actually an innate feature in humanity. And what I've realized is that we're not taught or told that we inherently can develop our own meditative method. And so that's essentially what this is, is that over my years of learning other meditations and doing other people's work, that it led naturally to me discovering that I can just create my own. And uh, essentially, that's what future life progression is. I'm just kind of using the term future life progression, um, where uh, I can have that as like um, a support for the modality that I created. And so essentially what I'm wanting to encourage people is to do the meditation and then see where it takes you. And, um, and so um, just as how I've created um, exercises, I truly believe that people will just create their own exercises that they'll and go into their heart and it'll I, unfold. I actually want to uh, bring up just like, uh, so while I was reading your book, um, here's some things that just, uh, I'm not a book reviewer. <laughs> That's not what I'm yeah. uh, doing, but like, uh, what I enjoyed and what I, how I, and why I feel like people can read this and it's, it's not a hard read. You know, you can, you can read this and understand what you're reading and understand what's being said to you. Uh, but one of the things that worked a lot for me to like move me along is that you took your own personal experiences and then it, uh, it made some of the more dense, stuff where you do talk about, uh, neuroscience and, uh, left brain dominance, right brain, brain dominance, and how that, uh, uh, how that interact, how meditation interacts with these things. Am I making sense? Like, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm talking about your book, but you know, uh, what I was saying is that, um, you talk about, uh, one of you had a, you had a very profound experience with a, uh, teacher hypnotherapist uh in uh in india who it was that was your first time doing the past life regression style yeah. of thing and then you move forward and you, you tell your experiences uh with uh future life regression and all that stuff and then you you bring it back to what the meditation techniques are 
And I think that's a, I think it's a great format. And, uh, so, you know, I, I want to like shout out this book and also I want to thank you so much for like, uh, sending me an advanced copy because I got to be one of the first people to read. I assume like some of your friends and family have already read this. I'm not the first person, but, uh, I you know really what? appreciate um, to get to get to be there. Uh, one of the first actually on the Vanguard. Uh, yeah. So, but man, I, I, I really appreciate, um, uh, everything you've said so far, it's actually really encouraging because, um, well, I've got, I have, I have more kind words for you because <laughs> actually I, I have to, I can't let this interview in before I bring this up, man. And yeah. it was, uh, uh, man, I just got your email this morning, uh, before our, uh, before the interview, uh, that, I, uh, from your, your album, cause, uh, you hadn't, uh, it wasn't ready yet to send to me. And so I didn't have that. So I hadn't listened to your music and I was like, Oh, well shit, I don't know what I'm going to say. <clears throat> but anyway, I, uh, I listened to, uh, Enlightened Dark, which is the track off your new album. And I was extremely pleased, especially that I got to listen to it before this interview. But uh, like I said, but yeah, I got to say wholeheartedly, man, I loved it. I, I fucking love that shit. And also it always makes me happy as uh, I've had a lot of musicians on this podcast and I'm always very happy when they send me music. And I, you know, if I haven't heard their music before and I get it and I like it, it yeah. makes me so happy because then I don't have to beat around the bush or, or, you know, pretend like, I, I, I mean, I would never lie to my listeners and be like, Oh, I love this. You should listen to, you know, like if, if I don't like it, I don't fucking like it. Like that's, <laughs> yeah, this, this podcast is called my views are my own, yeah. but, uh, in all honesty, man, I really, really enjoyed it. And, uh, at the very, uh, I'm going to go ahead and go back and I'll put a clip at the beginning of, uh, it light and dark. And then at the end of the episode, everyone stick around and listen to the whole track. It's fucking dope. I really, really liked it. Oh man, uh, that's so good to hear. Thank you. But I do have a question, man. And uh, like I, uh, I guess when I was reading your bio, I said you're a guitarist. Mm -hmm. uh, but <clears throat> I wasn't sure like how. Uh... Oh, and oh, one more thank you, man. Thank you for keeping the winning streak going of musicians that have come on this show that I've never heard their music before. And giving me the pleasure to say, Hey, I promote this music. You should listen to it and actually meaning it. So nice. winning streak is still going. Thank you. <laughs> Great. Oh, dude. Also, you're part of another streak and it's this, uh, you're the second guest I've had in a row. That's kind of a one name that has one name they go by yeah. essentially. Yeah. And you're the third guest in a row that has a name that I've never, ever heard before. So my last three, <laughs> the last three, including you was a guest named Epi Seya, a dude named Kaviani and Zoranada. Is that a Serbian name? So Zoran is the Serbian name and Ananda is bliss in Sanskrit. So, Oh, cool. Uh, cool. Yeah. I put them together. So yeah, I mean, that's a whole other story by itself. Um, that, yeah, I'd love to do a follow up uh, interview sometime. Uh, so we can go a little deeper into hey, man. stuff. Yeah. I mean, uh, oh, but yeah, but I had it. So I could not enter, end this interview without talking about the music. Yeah. And my very first question is, um, are you in a band? Or is there, are there several people involved or are you doing all this uh, solo in a studio? So it's created with myself and my friend, John Atonic. So he's my producer, publisher, licensor, and essentially... What I did is uh, 
come up with the main guitar riffs, uh, the acoustic part, especially. Um, and so this was a track that I created several years ago. Um, and it was last winter we recorded the meditations that are part of like the book. And I was just sitting with him and I was like, um, Hey, do you want to just hear some of these guitar tracks? Maybe we can do something with them. And so the first one that I showed him was the enlightened dark. And he just like immediately fell in love with it and was like, yeah, man, let's, uh, let's like, you know, actually sit down, um, uh, a little bit later and, and start working on them. So the cool thing is that, um, he did a lot of the work in the sense that, you know, he's, he's, uh, providing like the drum track, um, like the ambient sounds, uh, the extra like, um, electric guitar. Um, and, uh, so, you know, when I would come into a studio and record, uh, I would leave and about a week later, I have no idea what he's going to do. And so every song on the album, he would just put together and send to me. And it was just like a hit every time. And, um, where we would come back and we would only really tweak just like minor things here and there. So, um, and speaking of like tying these together. So we've, we've talked about your book a whole lot, and we barely even scratched the surface of your music. Uh, <clears throat> but I, this is a question that I actually had written beforehand because while listening to the, that track, I know, so correct me if I'm wrong. So I'm just going to tell you what I thought. And then you tell me what's, what's what, you know, whatever. Um, cause I don't know a whole lot about deep meditation. Uh, but from what I read in your book and from what I've listened to of your album, it seems to me that you could listen to your music while performing the practices of meditation that you've laid out in the various chapters of your book. Uh, is that true or is like, uh, is that something you should do in silence? And, and I don't know, I mean, like I'm not, um, I'm not very well versed in how meditation like yeah. on that level is properly done. Um, I think in, uh, in the sense of the album, um, it, it's more to be enjoyed, um, uh, like consciously. Um, and I'm sure like, people by all means can experiment all they want where, um, you know, they can, they can put on the track on loop or something and then just like start doing some of the meditations themselves and see where it goes. Because I know that, um, uh, one of my intentions is to actually make it synergistic. Um, it's so funny because I was at John's house last night and, uh, we were going to bring up the meditation, uh, that we recorded and couldn't find it. And it turns out that, uh, it actually, the whole thing got deleted. And this was something that we made way prior to the album. And I was just like, you know what, this is actually a perfect opportunity because we can actually now re-record it knowing what we did with the album. And because it's already kind of integrated with the name of, uh, the album and the chapter in the book that why don't we just like bring in elements of the album and, uh, and remake the music. So I'm actually going to spend the next two days <laughs> re-recording all the uh, script and remaking the whole thing. So I am uh, very much looking forward to hearing this album, man. So like hit me up when it's uh, fully done. Cause I want to like, I'll be playing that shit in my car for sure, dude. Yeah. Um, so 
that like the whole album is uh, what I sent you. So on SoundCloud, if you look through, the whole album's there. Okay, I thought. Uh, okay, cool. Yeah, and I thought so, you were gonna uh, uh, change it up and uh, change some shit. So uh, when it comes to the um, like in the book, when I talk about the meditations, so I recorded separately the full meditation and I actually guide through the whole thing. And then John made music to it and that's what we lost. So we lost like the whole guided meditations. And so we're going to re-record all those with the elements of the album um, just to make it that much more synergistic. So awesome, man. I will. All right, I gotta say this, dude. We are getting dangerously close to the lightning round. All right, uh, and I don't know. Have you uh, ever listened to my podcast before? Or are you a brand new? Uh, no, so I don't. I don't. Not too sure about. Well, the lightning every round. single episode ends with the lightning round. I'll yeah. explain it in a minute. But before we go uh, to that segment, can you let everybody know where they can check you out, man, with your website? When is this book going to be published and when is this album going to be dropped? And like just uh, all that info, yeah. man, just hit us, up, hit us up with it. So my website is uh, www.zoranunda.com. Uh, my Instagram is yogi.zoranunda. I also have a music page, zoranunda.music. Um, but essentially you can find everything on the yogi.zoranunda. The book and the album will be released October 5th. Right now, um, it's on pre-sale. So, um, yeah, until then, uh, you can still get it, but, uh, the official day is October 5th. Yeah. Oh, and, uh, by the way, just, uh, uh, my listeners, like just, if you, uh, if you follow me on any of my, my socials or whatever, uh, there'll be links to everything. So you can go to like, uh, uh, my com. We'll have a link, uh, or my Instagram will have a link. My, uh, I'll put some of them on Twitter too whatever uh dude are you ready for the lightning round let's do it <laughs> all right man so okay so you've never heard the show before so you don't know how the lightning round goes all right i ask you a series of questions you don't have any time to think you just got to like gut reaction just answer as fast as you can because the more you think about it the less lightning it is <laughs> and I, yeah. I and i'm not gonna lie to you man I've had people on here before. Uh, we get to we get on the lightning round, and we can't get past a, past a question. But <laughs> you seem like a pretty sharp dude. I mean, you're an author, you're a musician. I feel like you can get through these questions. I did not write a hard one this time, and uh, I'm excited to just do this uh, lightning round with you because it's, it's it's the fun part. We do it at the end. All right, man. So here's one. Uh, just this is just for my own ignorance, but like, you spend a lot of time in India, dude. Is there a martial art that's from India? Yes, there is a martial art. I'm forgetting the name, but uh, it's like a really good mix between um, like yoga and weapon training. Sick. Oh, all right. Well, hey, you heard it here first. Look it up. Find out what it is. Because <laughs> I, because I know, like in uh, in Thailand, man, it's Muay Thai, and I love. You know, I actually practiced a lot of Muay Thai uh, in my life a few years ago, and I love that sport. Yeah. All right, man. Here's a, here's a, here's a silly one though. Uh, if you could be an X-Man, uh, what mutant power would you choose? Oh, man. I love X-Men. So, Mag- my favorite comic book of all time. Yeah. Dude. I think Magneto is one of the dopest. Um, yeah, man. I've never heard anybody say that before. Honestly, that's pretty, that's pretty amazing, dude. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. You know, so Nightcrawler is my favorite X-Men, but... yeah. 
I want Wolverine's powers more because That's what I, I was like, thinking first. Yeah. Because <laughs> I, I hate getting Wolverine. hurt, dude. Yeah. <laughs> I wish I could heal. All right. All right. All right. All right. Uh, so dude, you're like a, a hardcore yogi. You can do a lot of shit. Uh, how far can you walk in a handstand? Can I walk in a handstand? Probably not that far. I don't like, uh, more of my practice in handstand is like static, but, uh, probably like a few feet. <laughs> All right, cool, cool, man. Dude, there's no wrong answer, man. This is the lightning round. <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah. Uh, better place to meditate on a better beach place yeah. or on a mountain. And like, so, just like, uh, like, let's say like, you know, let's say a deserted beach, deserted mountain, you know, like nobody else is around to fuck with you. Yeah. I would honestly say mountain. There's, uh, there's just something about like the, like the immensity of, of the mountain and just like all the stones and, uh, that, uh, you'll just tap into something, uh, really powerful. On the other hand, you have the ocean when you're on the beach and I've definitely spent time with the ocean of just like listening to the waves crash and breathing in like the salt, uh, the salty air. Um, no, for yeah, sure, dude. Like, yeah, mountains are powerful. Man, I feel like I might be opposite of you on that because uh, <clears throat> the ocean can mesmerize me where I can actually like sit and chill without any headphones in and actually just look at the ocean and like really spend some time. and. Uh, Whenever I'm on mountains, I'm usually doing something like trying to prove that I can climb to the top of it. So, <laughs> but we're different types of dudes, man. That was <laughs> all right, man. But yo, similar question. Uh, all right, here we go. Surfing or snowboarding? Oh my god! So I grew up skateboarding like you, and I got like really deep into snowboarding, and I've never surfed before. And, uh, it's just like the bane of my life right now because I want to surf so bad and it just like never happens. And, uh, I've had like full on surfing dreams where I'm just like, I I'm just like surfing the biggest waves and I've never done it before, but I would say, uh, definitely snowboarding just because, um, yeah, I've like went fairly deep into that whole world. And I just love it. I love being on the top of the mountain, just like breathing in the fresh, cold air and you just like oversee just everything. Right. Hell yeah, man. I love them both for sure, man. Uh, <clears throat> and honestly, man, it's one of those questions. I really don't, I don't feel it's the apples and oranges thing. I really think there is an answer for everybody, dude. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah totally. And for some people it is, uh, you know, it's skateboarding or, Honestly, and for a lot of people, it's none of them. You know, some people don't want to do any of that shit. Yeah. And I grew up in Alberta, right? Where we have access to mountains. So we yeah. like I've done many trips like out to many mountains. So all right, here's a question from uh, your time in India, man. Have you ever watched an entire game of cricket? <laughs> no. <laughs> don't worry, man. I don't think anybody yeah. you has know ever like, watched an entire game of cricket. <laughs> there was only one time where I was like walking uh, down this like back road and I saw some kids playing cricket, but like, I never went to like a cricket game. Yeah. Uh, all right, man. Uh, what's a book that has inspired you that you would recommend to others? Oh man. So, so many. Um, okay. So the book that like basically inspired me to write my book is called Kabbalah and the power of dreaming by uh, Dr. Catherine Schamberg. I guessed you were going to uh, say that. <laughs> yeah. 
because it's in my book. Yeah, that's I, I, I thought. So, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I, I had a sneak um, preview. But, uh, honestly, Game of Thrones, like oh, read, yeah. read Game of Thrones. Holy shit, that book is incredible. Just like the whole series. Um, I'm just like anticipating Winds of Winter hardcore. I just oh, yeah, dude. You know, I'll tell you one thing, man. I was so fucking disappointed with that. Um, that last season. And I, I mean, just, I'm just like, you know, I'm going to go get that book and just see the real ending, but all right, here we go, man. Speaking of things that like you do on airplanes, which is reading game of Thrones is a great airplane activity. And you travel a lot, man. Uh, this is, this is the final question. Uh, and this is about being on a long flight. Yeah. What is the easiest yoga pose to do on a long flight? You know, that like will help you kind of like get out of that funk, man. I sit in the, airplanes yeah honestly i would say just like whenever you can and you're in the air just like like get into the aisle when it's just like everyone's kind of like down and out and just do like forward folds um just stretch out your hamstrings and your calves and uh even Dude, that's exactly what i do yeah like, i don't yeah. even think of it as and yoga i just get up and i just do forward fold yeah um like you know you don't have to like do anything crazy to kind of show that you're doing yoga. It's just like, even if you're seated, just like massage your ankles and roll your ankles. And, um, and yeah. And like, um, even when you're in forward fold, um, just like clasping the hands behind your back and straightening your arms and then just kind of like lifting up so that you're kind of stretching in through the shoulders and the, and the lats and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of undoing a lot of what the seat does to you too. Like getting your, uh, your chest stretch. Yeah. That's a, what flights do like long flights do to me is uh it just kills my lower back man just sitting those yeah. in that hard ass airplane seat and that's why like i like to get up and just do kind of like a a rag doll or a you know just touch the floor yeah totally well dude hey man this has been a fantastic interview i had so much fun having you on uh shit man thanks for being on the show you're so welcome man it was a blast um, yeah, thank you so much for doing this. Thank you for, you know, reading the book and listening to the music and yeah, honestly telling me that they're great because that's the thing that I've just been like kind of anticipating and like having a little bit of anxiety about cause they're my first kind of like major projects. So it feels really good, uh, to hear that support. So thank you. Hey man. Well, for very first book, very well written, man. And thanks, thanks again for being on the show. Yeah. Yeah, looking forward to uh, another conversation. Yeah, it's going to be great. Absolutely. Thanks for listening to My Views Are My Own. You can contact me at myviewsaremyown.com or on Instagram at myviewsaremyown underscore podcast or on Twitter at myviews underscore podcast or just email me directly at myviewsaremyown.podcast at gmail. And we're going to play ourselves out here today with the track from Zora Nanda's new album, Enlightened Dark. Thanks for listening.